All right, you guys ready? I'm ready. Scott's ready. ready. Scott's got other things to do. He's, in. <laughs> He's got a fence to build. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I know. <laughs> Spencer slept. I was really there all Friday night. <laughs> oh, you were. <laughs> we started at ten. We were done at six. <laughs> The last he three hours, twice. he was yawning uncontrollably. He only fed you once? I, had, I ate a big breakfast. I offered he, lunch. He, he did offer. I offered waters. The thing that our offer? wives were most impressed about is that we didn't come in to use the bathroom all day. You sweat <laughs> it out. <laughs> yeah, you do. You really did. Yeah, you really did. That's what I said. <laughs> no, like. But Alicia kept coming to the back door and was like, do y'all need to, like, use the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> what you do is different than what Scott does is different than what I do, but then it's good for all of us to see that that doesn't matter. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter. We're not going against scripture and right. doing these things. We're we're still trying to honor the Lord. And so it doesn't make one better sure. than the other here. <clears throat> That's why I, I like the difference. I, I like yeah. seeing the differences um, that we that we all have. Yeah. I think it's important for our people to see that and for yeah. people to see that. Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, and it's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Our goal together is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Um, sitting around the table with me today, I've got Tim Michelangeli, lead pastor of MMBC, Scott Slater, family pastor here at the church, Matt Bates, music and media pastor, and my name is Spencer Snow. I'm the discipleship pastor here at uh, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Um, so we've been going through a series on the screw tape letters, but we wanted to take a break today to do a little Q&A time to talk about some questions that we've gotten and uh, to, to walk through them and to um, answer them. So uh, the first question we want to go through right now is this, and it's about the screw tape letters that we've been going through. It says, the screw tape letters imply that Satan and his dominion can read the mind of their patient and implant thoughts slash ideas. Does Satan know what we are thinking? Can he implant thoughts slash ideas or influence dreams? What do you guys think? All right. First of all, I think it needs to be said that he, Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. Okay. And that he's not omnipresent. And he's, he's not everywhere at all times. So I think that's probably yeah. a good starting place good. to acknowledge what Satan is, does not have the same uh, power abilities as God. So he is not yes. divine. Right. Yes. He yeah, is he's a created being. Yeah. Right. So, so he, there's limitations, great limitations so on him. So he's not eternal. Right. He's not infinite. He's not unchangeable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a creature. Yeah. But... He's powerful, right? More powerful than us? Seems, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're just being honest, Scripture doesn't speak a ton about Satan and all these characteristics necessarily. Like, we can infer some things from mm-hmm. Scripture, but to just find a passage of like, of even the passage of how Satan fell, it's very difficult to, sure. to yeah. grasp There's all that stuff. Either. There's not a lot there, you know, and they yeah. get it from some Old Testament books, and it can be, like I said, it can be really hard um, mm-hmm. 
to, to know and to understand. And so for us to sit here and answer a question, what, tell me exactly what Satan knows, what he can do, what he can't do. I don't think we could sit here and fairly say we have yeah. those answers perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it will be opinion that we would share. I think some of it would be factual as well. Um, but what we do know is what we just said. Mm-hmm. He is not like God. He is not, he's a created being, okay. right? He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's right. not all powerful. Right. Right? And so that already limits him greatly. Sure. Now, I think we can also infer from scripture, like you said, does seem to be a little more powerful than us. Right. So what was Satan? Okay, so let's start with this too. Satan was originally what? He wasn't created evil. No, it was an, a- was an, an angel. angel. Correct. Well, so angels are quite powerful, right? Mm-hmm. So he would be a part of the, yes. the like, just like we're humans, he was mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. the angelic, yeah, angelic beings, beings, right? So along that line of thinking, I mean, one, one place that I did think of, because this question specifically in, in, uh, included dreams, knowing that sat- like, s- Satan is a fallen angel is uh, at the beginning of Matthew, in the uh, account of Jesus being born at the very beginning, um, starting in chapter 1, verse 18. I'll just read this passage. And then I think there are some things that we can maybe draw out to at least ask some questions. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to explain that. And then uh, it says that... uh, in verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded mm. him. So there are some, this passage might create more questions than answer them. But we do know this angel communicated with Joseph mm-hmm. in a dream. Yeah. That happened. Who caused that to happen? Did God cause that to happen? Did the angel cause that to happen? We don't really know. Uh, the angel also knew what Joseph's intentions were, were to divorce Mary because they were betrothed, but she had for all intents and purposes, as far as he knew, been unfaithful. Well, the angel knew what his intentions were. Who told him those intentions? We don't know. Like the angel might have overheard the, him talking to Mary, or God might have told him. We don't know. But right. the angel, at least we do know, the angel did appear to Joseph mm. in a dream. Mm. So can demons be in your dreams, influence your dreams? Maybe. Like we have an instance mm. of an angel doing it here. So Certainly, and, and at the va- base level, it's a good illustration of how angels... <clears throat> And humanity can have interactions at yeah. some level mm-hmm. and communicate yeah. at some level. We see demons communicating and interacting at some level with humanity yeah, and with sure. Jesus in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And we see the same thing with angels. So there definitely can be some kind of communication, interaction between these yeah. different kinds of beings um, and such, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you do even in the Gospels, like you see instances of demons actually controlling mm-hmm. people yeah. and their actions demon and what they're doing, you right. know? Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. if a demon is capable of doing that, mm-hmm. I would assume that a demon is capable of influencing mm-hmm. and prodding mm-hmm. thoughts yeah. and other things, you yeah. know? But like you said, it's like we don't, it's not exactly like we have a handbook that we can go to and say, 
this or that or the mm-hmm. other. Yeah, if people want to read about Satan's fall, just because we kind of mentioned it, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, and Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 18, I would encourage people to go read it. I think they're going to come away after they read it like, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, right. That's yeah. it. And right. One, another interesting thing, I'm just doing some research while we're, while we're talking about it, looking it up more, but you remember the story of Job, and it says mm-hmm. that the Lord brought before him the angels and that Satan came and God asked Satan a question like, where'd you, where'd you come mm-hmm. from? So there's this, there was this access still to mm-hmm. God at some point, somehow, to where then they had the conversation about Job, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. About approaching right. Yeah. approaching Job. So does that still happen? You know, how does that still take place? I don't I don't know. It'd be hard for us to speculate those things. But again, I don't have that power. Right. I mean, I do now through right. Christ. I can go to him in prayer. Sure. Yeah. But obviously Satan still had that privilege, I guess sure. you worded that way. Maybe? Yeah, Satan is powerful. He's very intelligent, more intelligent than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, he's cunning. He, he knows has, the tricks of the trade. He does. You know? He's knowledgeable. Well, one of the best things I was told, me, we talked about this before. I don't mean to cut you mm-hmm. off. No, you're I'm sorry, but Satan has been around for all of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. So he's seen every wiles and things of right. man. And yeah. so that gives him a lot of wisdom into what mm-hmm. sets right. us off. Right. Right. And right. what can be put in place to make us stumble. So. You have that. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. He's very powerful. He knows. I mean, in, in looking at Job's example, too, he's able to inflict pain, physical pain upon Job mm-hmm. and harm, but always, and this is very important, right. always only because God allows him to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does nothing outside of God's control and plan and decree. And that's one of the wonderful things that we learned from Job. In the fact the, that he even has to ask God. <laughs> yeah, he can only do and go as far as God commands him and allows him to. Yeah. And that's uh, the great quote from Luther, that, that God's, the devil is God's devil. Hmm. He is underneath God. God. He's not an equal with God. He can only do what God uh, allows, him, allows him to do. Mm-hmm. And so everything he does is, is underneath God's plan and God's purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, can they read our minds? Um, we don't have any inclination from the scriptures that they can read. Like, they're not omniscient like God is. They, they can't necessarily, but they can interject thoughts. They can, they can interact with us at some level. I think we, we would be remiss if we said they can't do that. Now, when does that happen? When does that not happen? There's, I mean, yeah. you're opening up a can of worms. It's interesting. I was reading an older Christian writer, and he actually gives you guidelines. Um, and this is a pretty sound guy, but he was giving uh, just some principles by which you can try to discern um, your thoughts from Satan's thoughts. Because sometimes one of the tricks that Satan will do, because he's the accuser of the brethren, not simply Satan, but demons, dem- maybe that would be more appropriate, demons in general, because um, is that they can put thoughts in our minds and we become start feeling guilty that those are our own thoughts sometimes mm-hmm. yeah, we sure. haven't embraced them personally now if we do that can be the temptation then we can, then we actually do commit right. actual sin but sometimes even having the thought just come across our radar real mm-hmm. quick if we embrace that then that's sin mm-hmm. um now the tempta- the other problem is this discerning those thoughts from the thoughts that just come from our own sinful flesh and heart. That's tricky business. And I'm not an expert in that at all, but it's interesting that some of the older Christian writers would, would, would give guidance on in counsel in, in, in this area. So does Satan know what we're thinking? 
I think he's not omniscient like God. He has probably a pretty good guess and he can definitely influence us by temptation and deceit. Um, he can't control our will. He can't force our will. He can't coerce us, but he can definitely deceive and bait and tempt us. Can he, he might, he might not know what we're thinking, but he knows what we talk about and he knows our actions. Yes. And I think from his many, many years of dealing Mm -hmm. with the human race as sinful as it is, he kind of knows and understands where we might take something. Sure. Well, it's like we say this too, right? With our, with our spouse or with somebody else, we can, when we're talking to somebody, we can say, I know what they're thinking. Yeah. And we are saying, I, get, I don't have a window into your mind, but right. I can tell what you're mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah. Right. And, and I think at the very least, we should say that Satan can do that because he is intelligent yeah. and he is powerful. Not sure. Maybe that's deductive the, reasoning or a, right. Just, or just good logical. experience. <laughs> I mean, um, and, and I think that, yeah, that, that can, can he implant thoughts, ideas, or influence dreams? Yes. I think we can, there's a certain level and, and demons as well, right? Demons can, yeah. can do that. Probably for most of us, we're not going to have interactions with Satan himself, yeah. but demonic activity, um, I think there's two pitfalls and, and C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters brings us out. We can either deny demons totally or we can become obsessed with them. And Satan is happy with either of those hmm. if, we, if we do either. It's the middle path where we acknowledge their existence and we realize that there is some level of engagement pro- that we're having with spiritual forces, but we're, we're not going beyond what's written either in how we handle those things. Hmm. We're trusting in Christ and prayer and, and not trying to go out and slay the devil, (laughs) you know, like, um, like I see some, some people doing, and if you do that, um, you might get more than what you bargained for. If you want to try to do that. So, well, yeah, Scott's, Quote Lord of the Rings. Yeah. No, quote somebody else is quote. (laughs) Any other thoughts on that topic? I mean, I know that's, it's not something we talk a ton about. Um, so, any other thoughts about that before we move on? Not really. Okay. No. Okay. Okay. Um, question two. And this part, this kind of has um, a part A and a part B kind of. It's kind of two questions, um, but it, it's good stuff to talk about here. This is the question. Why did Paul feel the need to circumcise Timothy? I know he says it so Timothy will be accepted into the temples, but why would that be? Paul was sent to evangelize and minister to the Gentiles. It was Peter who went to the Jews. It seems hypocritical for Paul to do this when he had gotten after Peter for being a hypocrite with the Jews. So there's a lot of background that we'll need to talk about here. The first part of the question is, why did Paul feel the need to circumcise Timothy? And that's found in Acts chapter 16. Um, Acts chapter 16, and I'll read this, this section here, and then we can, we can talk about it. Um, and beginning at verse 1, Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra, and a, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. 
So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So the background here is Paul is going out doing his missionary work, um, and he's he's taking the gospel to these people, and he runs into uh, Timothy, whose mom is a Jew, but his father is a Greek. And apparently, even though Timothy is seems to have been raised in the Jewish faith, knew the scriptures were told elsewhere from childhood. He hadn't been circumcised as Jewish males were commanded to be um, under the Old Testament and Old Covenant. But he was a believer, it seems. And so yeah, Paul wants Timothy to come along with him, but he circumcises him because he knows that the Jews are aware that his father's a Greek, and so he hasn't been circumcised. And so they do this. Um, why did Paul do this? Why would Paul circumcise Timothy? Was it because it was required, or what do you guys think? I mean, I think there could be a lot of things going on with why Paul did that. Um, one could be for Timothy's ministry in the future. Because the question here is addressing Paul's ministry, right? He says, Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Uh, Peter was to the Jews. But what about Timothy? You know, maybe this enabled Timothy to minister better into the, into the towns that he was going to be in, right? Mm -hmm. Gave him more options or more opportunities. I do think it's wrong to say that Paul was sent just to the Gentiles. Because Paul oftentimes would go to the synagogues first. Correct. Like he does here. Yeah, and preach, right? That's what he would do. And so it does make sense for him to have a companion who would go with him, mm -hmm. who's not on his, so he's not on his own, and he's not breaking the protocol of the synagogue, right? Because that would just be a lack of integrity to do that, mm -hmm. um, to still uphold that. And so that could be a reason that he did that with Timothy, was to have a, a partner to go in with him. Uh, into the into the synagogue. So, I mean, again, speculation can be a part of this answer, uh, I guess. But that that would be my thinking right. there. Well, he says explicitly the reasoning was is because of the Jews. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So they were in the places. Now we know one reason why. One reason he that wasn't one of the reasons why he did it was because it's necessary for you to be a good Christian. Mm -hmm. Right, because that was in Acts 15 that just happened. The Jewish uh, Pharisees, the Pharisaical, these people who I guess had professed to be Christians as well, but they said, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Right. Which was heretical, which is wrong, right? Circumcision was no longer commanded by God for anybody mm -hmm. because Christ had come. And also, it was, even under the Old Testament, it was never required for salvation. And these guys had been just saying, so we know that Paul did not circumcise Timothy because the gospel requires it right. or because mm -hmm. he needed it to be saved or because he needed it to be a good Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul would say elsewhere, it doesn't, circumcision is, is, is nothing. He would say that in Galatians, right? Nothing, circumcision mm -hmm. doesn't amount for anything. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So I think Christian liberty comes into this then exactly. as well, right? Is that there are times when you are going to do things that are not commanded in scripture, not sinful, but that are not commanded in scripture 
you'll do it in this situation, but you won't do it mm-hmm. in this situation. And it's not because your salvation is based on it or anything. Right. It's a Christian liberty thing. It's a weaker brothers and sisters thing. It's all of that wrapped into it. And so mm-hmm. I have to think that this is in Paul's mind and making this decision to circumcise Timothy. Right. I think another aspect of it that's in his mind is his his ministry's missional effectiveness and ability to actually minister to and reach people with the message. I mean, you you read that passage, Spencer. It was because of the Jews. Like he wanted him to mm-hmm. be able to accompany him. Right. And apparently he saw that as being a potential barrier mm-hmm. to him being able to do that. Right. I mean, there's a pretty famous passage in First Corinthians chapter nine, uh, where Paul wrote in uh, chapter 9, starting verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. So that's kind of the principle mm-hmm. that we see of him applying to Timothy right. in Acts 16. Uh, in order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them and its blessings. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'd see in some senses this is... This is an application this of This is an verses. application of those verses. Mm-hmm. And so, but the question specifically brought up is at the end of that first, uh, the question that you just read of this person is how does that then not make Paul hypocritical when you consider him, how Paul addressed Peter in Galatians? And I think what you see is the big difference mm-hmm. of motivation and underlying reasoning that Peter was acting hypocritically because he's treating it as like a salvation issue of like Jews don't mix with Gentiles. Yeah. But Paul's motivation in in encouraging Timothy, to, or it might have even been Timothy's idea, right. you know, uh, wanting to be able to be part of that, to go mm-hmm. with Paul. You know, Paul might have brought up, it's like, well, yeah, you know, I'd love for you to come with me, but honestly, these, these are not Christians, and we're trying to reach them with this mm-hmm. message. They might not even give you an audience if yeah. they know that you are not circumcised. Well, it might have been Timothy's idea. We don't know. Right. And that's where the liberty ties into this is because for Paul, if you – so he, earlier he took Titus to Jerusalem during a famine relief situation. Titus wasn't circumcised, and Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2. And he says Titus wasn't circumcised, and he wasn't forced to be. The mm-hmm. point was, is if you tell me that this is required in order to be a good Christian or for me to be saved, then yeah. I'm going to oppose you night and day. Yep. But – if like you're saying here, if, if in my Christian liberty, you're saying, you're not saying that and the situation isn't that way, but I'm just trying to figure out what's going to be more effective for the gospel and out of love. Well, then I'm willing to, to undergo this for the sake of love in order, um, out of my freed, out of my freedom in Christ to do that. And so you're right. All of, it's all about situation. It's all about motivation. That's why Paul could do one thing in one situation and condemn it in the other. Um, that's why he could circumcise Timothy in one hand and in Galatians be uh, vociferous, almost, you know, uh, writing very strongly against the need for circumcision for the gospel because the point was Christ. What proclaims the gospel of Christ and justification by faith alone uh, in that? 
And so you see that, that, great, that great difference. Now, uh, additionally, so it kind of also then uh, ties in this question. The, the second half kind of is about, not simply about Timothy, but then it was about um, Paul and Peter and their ministries. Because we do read um, in, in um, Galatians chapter 2 again that Paul says that whenever he went to Jerusalem and saw the apostles and such that it was understood that Peter would go to the circumcised with the gospel and Paul would go to the uncircumcised with the gospel. Um, now, they divided their labor up there, but does that mean that Paul only preached to Gentiles and Peter only preached to Jews? What does that mean exactly? No, I don't think. I, I think they preached to whoever... You know, if, if they had, if Paul had an opportunity to preach to a Jew, he was going to do that. But he, I think, when he specifically went out on his missionary journeys in the towns that he was going in, they were Gentile towns, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was going to be the majority, and that was going to be his focus, mm-hmm. who he was centered on. I think Peter was a little more focused with like the church in Jerusalem and different things and what was happening there. That seemed to be more mm-hmm. of of his focus of what he was doing while Paul was the one going out into these towns. And it's not right. to say Peter didn't, right? He no. obviously did because he shows up and... Well, in Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles hear the word through him. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. But, and he's the, he's the apostle to the circumcised, and yet he's the first apostle that preaches to the Gentiles. And similarly, Paul's the, the apostle to the Gentiles, and how does he start his missionary journeys whenever he enters a city? Well, he goes to the synagogues. Right. So, I mean, the point is, is I don't think the, I, I think that whenever they say that there was this, this broad division in labor in the sense in which we understand you'll go here and I'm going to go out to the Gentile lands, but it wasn't as if they, uh, and the gospel was the same. Mm-hmm. It was the same message yeah. to Jew and Gentile. Um, it was just that, um, Paul, Paul went out, like you said, and really took the gospel outside of the boundaries of Israel yeah. Yeah. to to the Jews. Mm-hmm. I think maybe what this person is also maybe th- thinking is in Acts chapter 9 when uh, when God is specifically speaking to uh, Ananias or Ananias when he says in chapter 9 verse 15 but the Lord said to him go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before hmm. the Gentiles and kings and of the children of Israel. So you know, specifically to the Gentiles, like Paul is a chosen yeah. instrument, but it also does say, and the children of Israel, mm. you know, there too. So it's yeah, a, that's a good point. It's a ministry to both, but like with a, there is a specific accent on the Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't limit you to one. That's a good point, Scott. Thing. And I guess let's, let's think about it as well for us today. Um, so whenever Paul is talking here, Circumcision was obviously something that was important as a custom now to the Jews. It wasn't required of God upon them anymore since Christ has come. But they still did it because it was the, it was part of their, they still practiced the dietary laws. If you were a, a Christian believing Jew, you probably still would have practiced the dietary laws. You would have still probably had Sabbath on the seventh day. You probably would have still circumcised your kids. Um, today, um, we don't do that, but we still might have a, you might have a church culture where a certain Bible translation is customary to use. And you might, it, you might be foolish to initially come in and just, you know, bring your, your translation in where they've been used to another one. Mm-hmm. Um, or a certain order of service or customary Sunday dress or a, a certain customary church music. 
And I think one of the principles we should apply is when we go in to take the gospel to these people, or maybe it's another culture. It's not even a church culture. It's a, a different uh, culture altogether. We would do well to take those into account. And insofar as they're not inconsistent with the gospel of Christ, um, we should at least take those into account and try as best we can to not put unnecessary. The gospel is already offensive, and we don't want to put unnecessary offenses um, before people. And I think that's a helpful way to apply it Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, today. We should take into mind customs um, on where we're at. So, and there's this person has another question here, which leads me to another question, they say. Why did Paul go into the temple to preach when he was to reach the Gentiles? Now, I don't know if they're talking about the synagogue um, or the temple um, in regards, because Paul did go into the temple later on in Acts chapter 21. Yeah, I think they mean synagogue. The synagogues. That's what I would think. Yeah. So it's the same thing, right? Um, Paul would go in and preach to the, syna- to the synagogues to, to preach to the Jews, because in a sense, that was, um, that was kind of already... <laughs> the Word of God had already started doing work there because they had the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? And so in a sense, it was like ready-made... Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you might have uh, people that would already be a, a, acquainted with the scriptural material. Um, and so. And again, it's that sense of, you know, Paul rolling into town. There's some Jewish brothers there, and he's okay, and they get along. Oh, I, I'm not going to share the gospel with them because I'm not here for them. I'm right. here for the Gentiles. I don't think that was the case. I think it was also, we see in Romans his love for his people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul would go so far as to say, I would give up my own salvation for my pe- for my right. people to understand this. And so he still had this deep-seated desire for the Jewish people to know that Christ was the Messiah they've been waiting for and to teach that to them and to share that with them. And so I'm sure there was like even a comfort level for him to walk into the synagogue first when he went into town. It he, I mean, he was trained, right? He was a Pharisee. This is this is what he knew. This was home to him. And so he wouldn't be uncomfortable at all walking into a synagogue. He had all the credentials. He had all the rights. Right. There's a chance when he walked into the synagogue, he was the smartest Jewish person in that room when he walked right. in there. Right. Right. And so there was probably some respect. Now, his name was known and started to spread. And so there was probably other things going on there. But... <clears throat> To me, it just makes sense that he would go into those places mm-hmm. first. And obviously for him, the word of God just was burnt in his heart and on his mind so much that he had to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to do that there. And when they kicked him out, which yeah. probably happened quite I'd often. Go to the Gentiles. He'd go to the Gentiles and say, all right, so I'm here for well, really anyways, so well, I've been sent. Well, and he'd, he'd oftentimes <laughs> take a crew with him out of the synagogue. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, there would be a crew uh-huh. of them that come out. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, like you said, he's not starting from scratch then, right? He's not taking some Gentile guy who's never heard of the Torah, who's never heard of the law, who's never heard of these things and trying to train him to now be an elder in this town and start a church. Because that's what Paul was doing, right? He was starting churches. Right. God in his grace would give Paul, it does seem like in all these synagogues, some men who God would save and open Mm -hmm. their eyes to the truth, who now have all this background, all this knowledge of the Old Testament, and they can see Christ in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So it would make the process a lot quicker to be able to leave right. town. Well, in Paul's order of preaching the gospel, even taking it to the Gentiles, um, he would say um, that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for everyone to believe 
who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he would even in his practice still go to the Jews first before he would then turn to the Greeks yeah. and to the the outsiders and and he would take the gospel to both. Right. And and do both. And it's interesting like later on, right? So he would go take the gospel to the Gentiles and yet it's ironic in some ways that he's arrested in the temple doing very Jewish things <laughs> yeah. by the Jewish authorities in, in, in Acts chapter 21. He's, he's arrested there because he's, um, he's, people have been hearing about Paul. The Jews have been hearing about Paul that he was saying, basically, you know, just dump all of your Jewish traditions, get rid of Moses. We don't need any of that stuff. And um, that wasn't his intention either. Mm-mm. His whole point was is that Christ is all we need to be saved, and he changes everything. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I feel like you could ask the same question kind of of like of Jesus. If if mm-hmm. Jesus came to die on the cross for the sin of man, why did he spend so much time with the Jews, you mm-hmm. know? And and that even came up, right? Because yeah. this this little woman come to Jesus and Jesus told her, "Right. I'm not here for you. Right. I'm here for the Jews." And her response is well, even the dogs get some of the scraps, right? That mm-hmm. fall to the ground. And mm-hmm. Jesus's response then to her is what? Your faith is real mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we see him yeah. then reaching out to this Gentile lady yeah. and telling her, your faith is real. Yeah. What you have is real. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think we just kind of see that here with Paul as well. While he was given a directive to the Gentiles, he was going to bring in as many as, many as yeah. possible Jew, Gentile alike. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That's what he was going to do. Amen. Okay. Well, good. Last question. Uh, this person writes here, while listening to episode nine in regards to public prayer and posture of prayers, I'm thinking about the reading of the word. And this goes back to when we had our worship series. He says, I know many churches and even different traditions stand for the reading of the word. Should this be done? And if it should, should that be any time scripture is read throughout the, throughout a service or for the main text for a sermon only? So it's asking about whether or not it's appropriate um, to stand for the reading of God's word. Is it appropriate? Sure. I I don't think scripture mandates that that happens. I don't. Right. I don't think that it's set in stone. If people were to stand every time scripture was read in service, it'd get really awkward. Awkward, and almost as a pastor, it'd become like a game. Like I'm just gonna quote scripture at times. And <laughs> hey, see I, got, I gotta quote a quote of scripture. Stand up real quick. <laughs> quote something that's not scripture. See if anybody stands up. Right? You don't know your Bible. That's not actually in the Bible. <laughs> well, I made that up. Wrong. I made it up. <laughs> I think some church traditions and some pastors do it out of reverence mm-hmm. um, for God's word, just saying, please stand just like just like when you do a wedding before the bride comes in you tell everybody to stand up right and it's to honor the bride as the bride comes in um so it's 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 a sign of of ezra it's ezra yeah i think it's ezra that's where my mind was going to yeah Yeah. when he starts when they find the word of god is that what you're talking about again in the temple and they start reading it and but yeah, after they end up falling down on their faces yeah yeah right well and also like just honestly like uh traditionally in the past like the early church the teacher would be the one to sit and everybody else would stand up so you would always be standing up the whole service anyway mm-hmm. so uh, and i think that uh, much of these things i mean we, we we just talked about circumcision and customs and things like that and um 
it's customary in our culture for the people, for the people who are listening to something to sit and for the teacher to stand. That's customary. In other situations, in other cultures, it may be normal for the teacher to sit and for the people to stand. And similarly, same thing with this reading of scripture. It can be done appropriately, um, but it's not required. Yeah, I think we would answer this the same way we'd answer the the posture of prayer question. Yeah. Right. Right. People are going to pray in different ways. And I mean, if it's going to be a, an item of contention on a Sunday morning that distracts people, then you probably shouldn't have everyone praying in different ways. Or sure. So, I mean, if you're having some people stand, or some people stand during the reading of God's word, and mm-hmm. others don't, that's kind of right. We should all do the same thing, right? Uh, but it doesn't really, it doesn't matter what we do. I think as long as we're all doing the same thing right. together, decently, yeah, and in order. That's yeah, what oh, my Presbyterian yeah, yeah, yeah. friends <laughs> pulling that from the my, my Presbyterian friends. I don't love that, that verse. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, but yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, everything should be done decently and in order for edification. Yeah. 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 We, something that we talked about when we were doing that series on worship as well is that the way you structure your service and you order things and what you have everybody do during mm-hmm. a certain element of yeah. that worship, it does communicate to mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So um, in terms of participation, like there's a pretty big difference. Um, like even here, like if we were to, there's a totally different feel to what's going on when we're sitting listening to music mm-hmm. versus when we are standing. Sure. Uh, yeah. Even just then, like I just assumed that when you're sitting, you're listening. When you're standing, you're participating, yeah. kind mm. of thing. Yeah. So you know that doesn't necessarily mean that is has to happen that way, mm-hmm. but it's kind of what it subliminally <clears throat> communicates sure. yeah. uh, to that person. And so mm. you know, you just think wisely about what what you are communicating yeah. uh, mm. to your congregation and to the church when you're yeah. when you're telling them to do certain things yeah. or not. Let me ask you this. So you, we've been reading scripture more in our services, reading chapters at a time, First Peter, Second Peter. Just finished Second Peter this week. And people may notice when Spencer reads scripture, when he gets done, there's a saying that you say every time. Mm. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God. But the word of God, what do you say? Stands forever. Stands forever. Stands forever. Amen. This is the word of God. So. Amen. Yeah. Does that mean, Spencer, that you are holier than Scott? Because he doesn't say that. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. So why? Let me. I, I think this would be right, good for right. here. Why do you do that? Where does that come from? You know, right. all of that. No, I mean, I think, um, I think that's uh, well, one of the things. Is I, I looked online. And I saw people do that. <laughs> no, no, but I've heard it done before that. I have heard that done before that. And, Somebody dared me to and say honestly, it. And honestly, okay, and, and, and also that phrase, the, the grass withers flower fade, that's mm-hmm. quoting from Isaiah, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 40, I believe. See, he um, is more spiritual. He's quoting scripture. I'm quoting further scripture. Yeah. No, um, but I just think, I, I, yeah, it just kind of can, uh, I, just, I just like it. And I think that's just the point, right? I just like doing that. If you don't like doing that, you don't have to. It doesn't make you holy or anything, that, right? That's my point, right? Like right. some pastors will get up and they talk a little bit of the introduction. They read scripture sure. and then they pray. Others don't do that. Right. Does that mean the right. people who pray that sermon's going to be sure. better? 
No, not necessarily, right. but may, maybe for them, that's just their way to focus right. maybe on what they're doing right. and to honor God in that. And it doesn't mean the people who don't sure. do that aren't trying to honor God. Right. And right. So I, I just think that fall, I just well, ask you that. Well, and, I think it and similarly to another one that I've experienced is, is um, I don't do this, but I know there are some people, whenever they pray, they pray with thee and thy and thou. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing it out of respect. Mm-hmm. And that's just, they're doing it... Um, just because that's what they're choosing to do. Sure. And and I think that that's another thing. I don't do that. Um, it's not my custom. But I understand that some people do mm-hmm. that because they're trying to be respectful to God mm-hmm. and reverential to God. It's just... But I like that people can be individuals, sure. even when we gather corporately together to come together to worship God. Sure, but like yeah. that, what you do is different than what Scott does, is different yeah. than what I do. But then it's good for all of us to see that... That doesn't matter. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter. We're not going against Scripture and right. doing these things. We're we're still trying to honor the Lord. And so it doesn't make one better sure. than the other here. Yeah. That's why I, I like the difference. I, I like yeah. seeing the differences um, that, we, that we all have. Yeah. I think it's important for our people to see that and for yeah. people to see that. Right. right. Yeah. Directly applying that to, you know, standing for the Word of God. I think it was two Sundays ago I did our first... Uh, scripture reading mm-hmm. to start the service off. And I had everyone stand, but most of the times that you guys do it, you don't have people stand and right. like either way is it's sure. fine. It, yeah. It doesn't matter either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Um, the elements should be the same, but yep. the, the, the forms, forms and, and, yep. and yeah. what accompanies that. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm sure things look different in Kenya than they do here yep. and that's okay. I know things are different in Kentucky. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, shoes are optional. Shoes are optional, and they're foot washing and fried chicken afterwards every day. But um, <laughs> overall, <it's> not, <laughs> not from KFC, though. Not from KFC. Yeah, we'll, we won't talk about that. That's another Christian liberty. Well, I don't, I don't put that as much in the Christian no, liberty No, you want some thing. Christian chicken, you know where to go. Bad taste. <laughs> if I can't go on Sunday. <laughs> I can't go on Sunday, yeah. All right. So any other thoughts before we wrap up, guys? Uh, people should send us more questions. Yeah. People who yeah, are listening, fun. ask us questions. We like doing these episodes. I think what we, I, I want to make a suggestion. Something I think might be helpful is if we come up with a way for people to submit questions anonymously. Hmm. To do how? Anonymously. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we don't put the names of who asked the questions. I know, on but even so, we won't know yeah. oh. who's asking the you question. Have to, Matt, I don't sorry. always know. Matt's our guy. Yeah, we could figure something out. I don't know how, but... Yeah. Maybe you all let us know if that would be appealing to you. So these questions mm-hmm. don't have to be theological, right? Like they could ask... Well, they might not make it on if it's inappropriate. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah, well, like, I mean, they can ask personal questions about us. I guess. To answer? Right. Sure. What's your, what's is that your, not out of the... What's your favorite thing to get at Taco Bell? Oof. Right Chalupas. now, it's that uh, <laughs> cheddar burrito thing they got going. It's really good. Cheddar burrito. Number grilled six. cheese burrito. Number six. Number six. No tomatoes. Cheese. Didn't they already make that as like a cheese wrap or something? I don't know. <laughs> it's really good. Like I like it. it. <laughs> heard they're getting a lot of stuff taken off the they menu. They are. It's in pretty August. frustrating. Actually, oh, it's this month. Jeez. This month? Oh, they switched now. Yeah. Oh, Everything good. Hannah liked on the menu is now not on the menu. <laughs> I'm I'm personally a Chipotle guy. I like Chipotle. Yeah. I think Yank could be compared. Kind of yeah, the, I was about to say, those are two can't totally compare the, the, the snooty Mexican places. <laughs> it's kind of uh, fast food Mexican places, Chipotle's. <laughs> 
for us higher class people. I stopped thinking about Taco like Bell it. as Mexican food a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I love it. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like it. I'm just saying it's not Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> so says the guy who doesn't like KFC. So nobody does. All right. Okay. Well, we probably better wrap this, this up. Satan has it. blinded the yeah. minds of believers. Oh man. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you sending your questions. Please send more, um, and we'll figure out a way to do that anonymously if we can. Um, and we love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and have a great week. Bye bye.